Would you like to do the intro? No, it's definitely your turn. Oh, is it? I never know. Well, okay. I can do it. I've got a funny thing to say. Okay. Wait, do I? You're not sure? Oh my god, I came up with it. And it was really funny. <laughs> well. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. And this week, we're back in the podcast hut slash Hannah's bedroom. Yes. Yep. It's so weird because for nearly three weeks, we were just in front of each other. I know. Oh, Lauren, it was so delightful. It was crazy, wasn't it? It went by like so fast, too. There was too much traveling. There was so much traveling. There were so many buses and trains, and we were all up in everyone's literary home, weren't we? I panic packed, guys. I've got like a real bad habit of just, I get scared that I'm not going to have what I need. And so I packed a suitcase that was almost as big as I am and then had to carry it around. And Lauren just had this little rucksack. And it was so stupid. I had to take on like 15 coaches and buses and taxis and like tube trains and regular trains oh god yeah it was a nightmare oh god it was insane um i can't wait for everyone to hear all of the awesome stuff that we recorded i think we recorded about um nearly 12 hours of audio did we yeah so that's season two for you guys yeah done it's we're finished (laughs) Oh my god, it's a ton. So we have a lot to transcribe. Um, I'll give you guys this warning up front. We are going to finish out our season one episodes, which I think are about six or seven episodes. And then we will um, take a month long break so that we can work on transcribing and editing some of the season two stuff. And then we will we will be back with season two. So yeah. Sorry. Sorry that there's going to be a break. But we also want season two to sound really, really special. Like we want to kick up the editing quality a little bit. Yeah, we want Lauren to get better at editing the um, the podcast. (laughs) I've had a couple of words with her. You know, there's a couple of things. She has. Yeah. I had my six month review. It didn't go so well, guys. My six month review went really well because I don't really do anything apart from talk. Like I don't even read the damn books. So I'm doing fine. So yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> but yeah, in that season two stuff, we have some awesome, awesome audio for you guys. Um, we did an interview with the curator at Jane Austen House Museum and uh, the Rare Books Librarian at Chotten House Library, which Chotten House Library, like how freaking cool was it? Oh, it was beautiful. It was, yeah, oh. it was amazing. I'm really excited to so- go back and look at some 16th century bibles not 14th century bibles (laughs) exactly they don't have a 14th century bible people yeah future inside joke oh Um, it is a future inside (laughs) joke it really Uh, is that's a little uh, Um, season two teaser for you (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like an incredible rare books library um which is all dedicated to um early women's writing and I just was like in awe of like the program that they have there. They also had um, like a first edition of Mary Wollstonecraft's uh, The Vindication of the of Women's Rights. Oh, God, I got that title so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just in awe of their collection. And I guess we'll let this slip. They're looking to track down a first edition of um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein right now. Yeah, so if anyone's got one. Yeah, you should give them a call if for you guys sure. Got on kicking about donations are welcome. Donate it on behalf of Bonnets at Dawn. That'd be great. Please do. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, we also got so much, so much at um, Gaskell House. Oh my god! Oh, like every single volunteer is just completely delightful. It was, and we learned so week. much. It really, really was. I. I'm, like, really sad that I don't live in Manchester and, like, work at Gaskell House. I'm really sad that you don't live in Manchester, just so that I could visit. 
Yeah. Like, I'm not moving to Manchester, but you should. I'd love to. I'd love to. Stuck in Chicago, guys. Our own North and South vibe. It would be great. I know. That would be great. Um, We also taped a bunch of um, interviews with sort of like literary theater groups. Yeah. So that will make for an interesting couple of episodes. And um, of course, we got our classic sort of on the road stuff as well. I hope you're ready for a blow by blow account of me going around Chawton House holding the recorder. (laughs) I feel like every time Lauren turned around, I was just like muttering to myself in the corner of the room. (laughs) Well, it was so great that we had the house to ourselves. It was, yeah. Thankfully. So we got some good audio from inside Jane Austen House Museum. What a special day. Um, It was a really special day. It was like a beautiful day as well. Um, So yeah, that's all coming up for you guys. But now in the present, season one, um, this episode, which I think is episode 25, if I'm not mistaken, who knows? Um, black girl in a big dress. That's what we're doing today. We are. It's so funny. I'm really you, glad so you've, you you've been watching. My radar. Yeah, I've been watching it. It's hilarious. I really like the cuts. Um, uh, it's just that it's very funny. It's great. I um, I can't remember who was the first person to get it on my radar. I want to say it was Kaya Daniels. Um before the show even started, she was like, oh, there's something coming that I think you're going to like. And um, then as soon as, and I kind of, I had written it down. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this person on the show. Like, at that point, I think we had like 10 episodes, like sort of recorded already. So I was going to wait a minute to reach out. And then as soon as episodes started dropping, more and more of our listeners started contacting me like, hey, hey, are you yeah. going to get this person on the show or you should contact? And I was like, OK, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Guys, guys, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> it's on my list. But I, I'm happy that you guys did. And um, if there's anyone else that you guys think we should put on the show, like, you know, just hit us up at Bonnets at Dawn on um, Twitter. I'm always on the lookout for guests. This and, is not um, the time. Come on. Tell me about this show, Lauren, for our listeners at home. <laughs> Save the puff pieces for the end. I will. So um, Black Girl in a Big Dress is a series about an African-American Anglophile cosplayer who is in love with the Victorian era and is trying to bring a fantasy courtship from her reenactment events into the real world. So, yeah, as an African-American Anglophile, this is like definitely right up my alley. (laughs) I was about to say, that sounds like everything I hate, but I really, I just meant the Anglophile cosplaying bit, not yes. anything else. Um, yeah, like this show is, like, I think it's really important as well. Yeah. I. Why don't you clarify and tell us a little bit about your dislike of the word Anglophile? So I know you don't you don't care for the word Anglophile, but I think that from my understanding, because we've had a lot of discussions about this, it's more like it's like this, like people fetishizing British culture and thinking it's something that it's not. Yeah, I think what we what we really hit on over dinner when we had that long argument in Pizza Hut <laughs> was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that um, cultural cultural stereotypes are lazy and they're harmful and when you are like reduced to it it's annoying like it it can just drive like drag you down and so it wasn't like my only experience of being in America but yeah being being in the states just like people just talk to me about stuff I just do not care about and they thought that I would be like an expert on it or that I would give a shit (laughs) and I didn't (laughs) like I don't I don't drink tea like, I don't care about it. I don't want to hear you pretending to order it in a British accent. I don't want to mm-hmm. tell you what the difference between types of tea are. Like, I don't know. Don't care. I mean, you should come to me for that information. Go to Lauren. And guess why Lauren knows about that? Because she's an Anglophile. <laughs> Which is, so, I don't know. That and Doctor Who. Like, I didn't yeah. hate Doctor Who until I lived in America. <laughs> so... Yeah, I just like people like yelling British stereotypes at you is not. Yeah, and also fun. 
there isn't like so you can have a francophile that's someone who's like big on France France yeah uh but what's the American version I don't know. I've been looking for it. I think the closest I've come to this, too, is like when we were actually in France at the beginning of this year, um, I met a lot of French people who were obsessed with America. So I have not come across this in my international travels. I mean, granted, I've only been to like Canada, Ireland and the UK. So, um, yeah, but when I was in France, a lot of people were just like, oh, my God, like friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't watch friends. That's not my bag. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can totally like tell, I can totally, I understand what you're getting at. And they'd be like hamburgers, hot dogs. They just like yelling like random American things. And I'm just like, okay. Oh dear. Is this what you think America is? So I totally understand where you're coming from. I just, I like, like all things. If I have a neutral opinion about something, I express it as hate. Um, sure. And so I don't really care about Anglophiles, to be honest. I just, <laughs> I just get like very tired talking to them quite quickly. Well, you just don't want to be like an object, too, you know, yeah. with people just like asking you questions like, Hannah, like, what kind of tea do you drink? And Hannah, how many members of the royal family have you met? Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah, absolutely. Um, Americans do ask that question a lot. And like, let me tell you also, as a white woman... This is probably the closest that I will ever get to that. Like that yeah, feeling of yeah. being an object or being like exotic or like the other. And right. yeah, like it fucking sucks, man. I don't care for it. Like it I don't enjoy it. I think it's one like being presented to people like an oddity. Um, right. And like in a lot of ways, being a Brit in America is like it is great in a lot of ways. Like you do get treated like very differently. It is funny when people are like so impressed with the way you say bottle, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> like it's just a little bit like weird and yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I totally get it. It was the first, like in France, yeah, that's the first time I've experienced this. And um, oh, I went out with this um, this chick in France. Like we just became friends, and then she was like, hey you know, do you want me to show you around Paris a little bit as a, like, as a native? And I was like, great, awesome. Yes, please take me to, you know, some of these like cathedral bars and just, you know, show me around. Like I wanted to see some like something authentic, you know? Yeah. And she ended up, cause she was obsessed with Americans, which I ended up realizing later on. Yeah. She ended up taking me um, to this bar that was like an American themed bar. Yeah. And like I got there and it was just so it was such a bizarre experience. Like um, they only had like American beers, like they had like Sam Adams. And I was like, I don't want a Sam Adams. Like I want to drink French wine like I'm in yeah. France. And, you know, and I am like I, I was very fortunate, obviously, to go to college in the States for a bit. So when we were there, like everyone drank Blue Moon, like it was like it was their job, like that was the beer that all of my friends were drinking. And then that's mm -hmm. just come to beers in the UK. Oh, and, really? And so now people will order it and it's like, oh, you have it with a slice of orange and people drink it. And it's like, when when you're exposed to something, it's just it's not like special or new. And, and like, obviously when I yeah. first went to America, it was special, but I just don't want to. Right. It's so weird because again, it's just like, it's part of my, like, that that was just part of my college experience and so then coming and seeing it as like it works both ways like I would see Strongbow which is like a shit British cider Irish yeah. cider like wherever it's from it's like it's from the UK and it's cider and it's cheap and it's not it's not great and that was in like the export aisle of American supermarkets and I was like why is that right. being exported and like it is the biggest uh, brand, but then it's almost you can imagine someone being like, "Oh, I've got this British cider for you to try." Like, right, exactly. Please, please don't consume that as like an example of what cider should be. So, exactly. Yeah. So that yeah. was my whole feeling in this bar, where I was like, "This is not all America." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I just <laughs> wanted so I think, to make that clear. I think it was just really like awkward and weird. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe it's my innate ability to make everything about myself. So when <laughs> when someone describes themselves as an Anglophile, 
I am just immediately like, oh, <laughs> this is what my life's going to be for the next hour. Or it just, right. you know, it just brings back all of those. They're not like unpleasant. It's just like jarring feelings and sensations. And it's like when, yeah, it's just that, isn't it? So I think if someone's But we get along me, just fine. And I'm, and I'm a hardcore Anglophile. Yeah, we do. But you've never... I don't know because we could talk we talked about other stuff it's just the yeah yeah I had some bad experiences with meeting people who literally would only talk to me about tea and dog tea sure and when I say experiences I mean two housewives but you know it was enough it put me off (laughs) I would rather go and hang out with people who don't know that England is a country that would be great than hang out with people who ask me how far away from London I live (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough so um, I have to say, I cut around this interview with Adria, who is the writer, creator, star, producer of Black Girl in a Big Dress, because um, it was like we were just we were just two women of color Anglophiles meeting for the first time and just geeking out over like, where do you stay when you go to London? What do you like? We, we just like were it was very, very conversational. Yeah. And so I will apologize because I feel like we get off track on so many tangents in this interview, but I think we had a lot of fun and I hope you guys really enjoy it. I can't wait to hear it. I hope you don't talk about tea for too long. I cut it all out. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm from Texas. Okay. uh, uh, But I left, my first career was journalism. And so I, that was what my degree was in. And then I went to Washington state Okay. where I was a reporter for a couple of years, but I had to cover a lot of crime and I didn't enjoy talking to people in their deepest moments of grief <laughs> and asking them, how do you feel? And like this like big time serial serial killer was caught when I was there and oh I was supposed to be very excited, but like I didn't want to go talk to him just in case he got out of prison and right. then came after me. So, and I always wanted to do film and TV, but no one does that where I'm from. Right. So I was like, well, journalism's close. And then I was like, well... Uh, I might as well try Los Angeles since I, my the fellowship I was on ended. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I might as well try. And then, yeah. um, and then here I stayed. Nice. Yeah. I like it. I give you props because it's hard out there. <laughs> it's a tough town. The strike, because that year the strike happened. Um, I got divorced. Oh, God. And I lost my job all the same. All oh, the- my God. <laughs> it always, but when it rains, it pours. Like, that's oh, how it works. Gosh. <laughs> Yes. So yes, that that was probably the closest I was being like, oh, maybe I'll tap out of this. Yeah. But um, I I persevered and here I still am. Oh yeah. Mad props to you. That's insane. Yeah. So I am curious to know what your yeah. sort of like gateway to the Anglophile world, world oh. was. <laughs> it's so, this is, this project has actually, so there is the like silly, funny answer. And then there's like actually kind of a sweet answer that I didn't know mm-hmm. existed until I started working on this project. So my parents, you know, we, they did their best to, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, Texas, mm-hmm. which does not have like a ton of culture, mm-hmm. but my parents did their best to like take me to the ballet and to symphonies and stuff. And I think they kind of thought like, okay, we'll check this off the parenting list and we've done it. And then this child definitely won't be interested, but all of it I loved. And they took me to a Renaissance fair nice. and I was like, oh, I've come home. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best thing. I just, it was so like, joyful and silly. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always really appreciated when you can tell like how much work has gone into something. Yeah. Um, so I also really love like Broadway and theater and I love listening to like Broadway style singers sing because I feel like you can hear the work as opposed to sort of like overly produced pop music where you can't really, I know it's a lot of, I know that's also a lot of work, but you you don't hear it in the same way. Yeah. Um, And so I loved like Renfest and like these things that people made and then they taught themselves, you know, these instruments and there's, there's falconry and there's fence. Like there's just these things that people taught themselves. And I loved, I loved that. I think my parents thought it was going to be a phase, but it was not <laughs> and then the, like the weirder sort of like sweeter answer is my dad is um, very quiet, like very stoic, you know, man, man of his generations, no mm-hmm. emotions, doesn't talk a lot, blah, blah, blah. Um, and 
so he didn't talk to me a lot, not like in an angry way, just mm-hmm. in a like, nope. But his, and his whole family is like that. When I go visit them, it's a lot of sitting in silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he loved British comedy. Oh. And um, so if I wanted to spend time with him, I sort of had to like watch whatever he was watching. And he loved, you know, Faulty Towers and Are You Being Served and Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And so I started watching that stuff and it has absolutely stuck. And uh, I love, I love, I love love British comedy. When I went to London for the first time five years ago, it from, from the moment I stepped off the plane, I was like, oh, I've come home. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know the just, feeling. <laughs> yes. Like it felt so complete. And in the neighborhood where I like to stay, there are two, my, so my last name is Walden. Mm-hmm. And in the neighborhood where I like to stay, there are two properties that bear the name Walden. And I like to take that as a sign that. <laughs> now what so neighborhood is that? Where do you, where do you return uh, to? I like staying in Marleybone. Yeah. When I go, I um, I've I've got there's a screenwriters festival in uh, at Regents that I've gone to for the last four years, and I love it so much. And so I've just stayed nearby for three of those four years, mm-hmm. and um, oh, I love it so. Much. I I want to go to this screenwriters festival. When is oh, it? Oh, it's so fun! It's in September. Okay. London Screenwriters Festival, and it is. Um, so I haven't ever actually been to the Austin Film Festival, which I probably should stop wasting all my money going to Europe for this thing when I could just go to Austin. Um, but one of the things I love about it is like, I've been to a couple of sort of like festivals in LA, but they tend to be sort of like, there's one thing per hour and this has like five tracks going on. There's always much more that I want to go see than Mm -hmm. is possible to see. And they do a lot of, um, like they do, you know, you could submit to do like a little table read and mm-hmm. you actually have like an hour with like local talent and you can like workshop it and it's <gasps> just fun. I love um, this. They have like little um, master classes that you can, they have a lot of like little breakout things that you can apply to and um, be involved in. So it's like very hands-on and mm-hmm. so British. And they, I kill over there. Do because you? <laughs> they are so, they're always like, someone will hear me talk and it's always like, are you? are you American? I'm like, yeah. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, Los Angeles. And they're like, what are you doing here? And then it's just instant friends. Oh, awesome. Okay. I'm putting this on my bucket list then. I love the way the industry works in England. Mm-hmm. And I know it's smaller. And, um, but I love like, um, do you know the actor Patterson Joseph? Yes. So love him. And five years ago before I went, um, he, for the first time, he had written an article in The Guardian about how much he loves um, costume dramas, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get to be in them because he's black. Right, right. And he did all this research, and he's like, black people were totally around, and he has a one uh, a solo show that he does now. So I emailed his agent and was just like, hey, listen, big fan of Patterson's, um, I, and I'm a writer, and I love the same stuff. If you guys ever need someone just to like, I'll, I'll write anything for the opportunity to work with you guys. Mm-hmm. And his agent actually just forwarded it to him, and then he emailed me back directly. Are which you kidding? That's a- <laughs> happened in Los Angeles. Like that just wouldn't happen, right? Uh, and so I love like the industry feels so much more. And I know it's I know it's inaccessible in some ways, but it feels so much more accessible, and it feels like people are there doing it for much more for the craft. Like in LA, yes. yeah, in LA you can definitely get rich being a screenwriter. I am I am not rich. <laughs> But you're not really going to get rich doing it in the UK. And so I feel like people are doing it because they actually want to do it. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. And I think it also goes back to like what you said about what you one of the things that you loved about the Ren Faire and like in Broadway is that it is people who are dedicated to a craft. And the actors are dedicated to a craft and and training. (laughs) Yes. So now besides British comedy. Yes. What? What costume dramas, like, influenced you? Like, what got you young? Well, interestingly, it was the it was the comedies for a long time. And then my soul was honestly, like, reawakened with Downton Abbey. Okay. I kind of forgot about it, mm-hmm. this whole thing, for a long time. And then, and someone, I remember when Downton Abbey came out, someone was like, you should watch this. You like British stuff. And I was like, I don't know. That's really popular sounding. I don't ever yeah. like it. I don't want to watch it. And then I watched it and I was like, hmm, I love everything about this. And <laughs> I was super happy and and was 
was reacquainted with like, oh yeah, I do love this stuff. And I think I had kind of stopped going to Renaissance fairs for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think that next year was like, I was like the, the one that's in Los Angeles. I went back to, and I was always like, I'm not going to dress up. I'm not going to, oh, just kidding. Here's my enormous costume. Um, <laughs> How is that Ren Fair in Los Angeles? I might have to take Hannah to that one. It's fun. Um, I haven't been to, so the, I went to the one in, in the big one in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, a few times when I was in school and there was one when I was in Washington, I honestly can't remember if it was in Washington or Portland, okay. um, but this one it's, I mean, it's just, it's fun. It's just, it's just great. I feel it's, like you would get a good crowd of actors and like, and reenactors yes. in LA. So yeah. there's good shows. Um, I feel like. Last year when I was going, what was I doing? Um, I was going to the Renaissance Fair while listening to the book, Victoria. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Oreo Achievement Unlocked. This is, <laughs> this is great. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a good, it's, a good, it's a good group. I, um, Hannah has still not been to a Ren Fair. Of course, she does like proper medieval reenactment and castles. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um. But I think she would love it. Like, I did yeah. take her to Medieval Times when she was here. <laughs> that's, how did that go? She, I've never seen her so happy. Oh, my God. That's like, awesome. she, I mean, it m- might have also been the giant margarita <laughs> that sure. she had. Sure. Um, but, like, she couldn't stop smiling. Oh, And, like, yay. everyone with a fake British accent, she was just like, I am, I'm just touched. She's like, I actually, oh. she's like, I'm not offended. <laughs> I just am touched. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I think that's one of been been one of my favorite um compliments that I've gotten about the show is when British people are like, I really like it. I'm like, Oh, thank you so much <laughs> for letting me know that I didn't just offend you and all of your countrymen. Now, um when did you decide that you wanted to start the series? So that came about almost almost exactly a year ago. Okay. Um I had gone to that screenwriters festival in London. Mm-hmm. Um and was sort of just at a place where, you know, it, it, the town is tough and, and a, a writer's career is strange because you can get, you know, you have the thing where you go to a ton of meetings and everyone in LA is so nice. And so everyone's like, we love it. We love it. We love it. And then you don't hear from anybody right. or you're on a project in development for a long time. And then it just never goes. Right. So it is as though you did nothing because there's nothing to show for it. Yeah. Um, and so I was fr- a little frustrated with that and tr- just trying to decide like, what, what am I going to do? And then the other challenge I was having was, you know, I'm, a black lady Mm -hmm. and so there's all this you know buzz in town like oh everyone's so excited about diversity and like oh we want to you know meet with people of color but there's still a bit at least in my experience there was still a bit of an expectation that I would be writing sort of typically black stories which I just don't have in me and I would go to these meetings and people would be so excited and they'd be like yeah so we're gonna do an urban remake of blah 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 and I'm like okay um (laughs) I can't uh, I can't help you with that. <laughs> and I was feeling frustrated and I was like, I just want, I just want there to be a series where just like sketch comedy meets like big dresses with like a black girl in it. And mm-hmm. someone's like, well, why don't you just write that? And I was like, fair enough. Um, <laughs> that's a good point. And so I really intended it to mostly be um, like a writing sample. I mainly right, wanted okay. to create something that I could give to executives and be like, this is me, just to clarify, this is where I live. Mm-hmm. And and then it just kind of took off from there. We just, we had a great time with it and the crew was amazing and we were able to put together something that was really solid. And it's been very, it's it's been awesome to see how excited people have been about it. Yeah, that's perfect. That's awesome. I, I have to tell you, like one of the things, I don't know if you've listened to some of our interviews on the show, but like the thing that I love most about Bonnets Mm-hmm. Is that like people are inspired by their love of Jane Austen or mm-hmm. Anglophilia, like whatever it is that they're just mm-hmm. like, I want to create something and I want to like showcase what I can do and just do what I love. Like, yeah. That's like the thing yes. <laughs> that I'm most attracted to. Yes. Other people. But that's perfect. It's a perfect calling card. Um, I, I totally know exactly what you're saying. It's about being a black woman in publishing 
Um, a lot yeah. of times in the room, someone pulls you in and they're like, okay, so I want to do this story. It's a very serious <laughs> story about yeah, an urban kid. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me about being an urban person? <laughs> like, I'm like, no. I said before, I'm like, I mean, I'm from the sh- suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I was at work one day. We got into this long discussion about dreadlocks and people just kept looking at someone, <laughs> some white dude at work got dreadlocks. And everyone was like. Oh my gosh, he got dreadlocks. How do they do that, Adria? And yeah, like, everyone looks at you. Yeah. Know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have, have all the answers. Oh, I don't have all the, the black answers. I don't have them. I don't. I don't have them. And then that that conversation, like many others, segues into other black people hair questions, where people are like, "Okay, Beyonce's hair. What's what's her hair like? Is that real?" <laughs> I'm like, I don't know her. I don't know her. I don't know her personal routines. Right. I, I don't know the answer to your question. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Been there. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's a hard one. It's, it's, it's tough. And then it's hard to sort of um, live in a space where you're like also, you know, you're, you love England and you're obsessed yes. with. Yes. I mean, I am obsessed with English literature. Yes. Which there was an article, I don't know if you saw, I think it was on Lit Hub a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it was called Reading Jane Eyre While Black. Oh, wow. And I didn't... <laughs> sounds awesome. So it's a great article, and I totally, like, I respect the author's opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I totally know, I totally know where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of classic literature. There are a lot of problematic things sure. in classic literature. Sure. Um, but I think it's also something that I like discussing. Yeah. And I kind of, I, I, you know, it doesn't make me discount it altogether. Right. And I think that for me, there were so many, I mean, yes, er, er, the, the past is problematic. The present mm-hmm. is problematic. There's right. things, things are problematic, but you know, one of the things that my character talks about in the show is a love of rules and order, which is also a thing that is very important to me in general. I mm-hmm. love, e- even if I don't like the rules, I just like knowing what they are and what the expectations are. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can read about people and watch people dealing with those kinds of things endlessly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it too. And it's not exactly the same. Like when you're, you know, reading about, you know, the young woman who can't inherit the estate because she is a woman dealing with that. It's not exactly the same thing as, you know, whatever race related things one might be dealing with now, but it's not a hundred percent dissimilar. It's nice to be able to transfer some of those thoughts away from like, ah, real life and into, Oh, look at this fictional character with whom I can identify in this interesting way and forget about myself specifically for a moment. Yeah, exactly. So now, English literature, I'm guessing you're an Austin fan. I, can I be super honest? Please, this whole week, please. This whole week I've been like, is it possible to read the entire canon in seven <laughs> Because I have not read nearly as much as I would like to have. So I've been cramming all week. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> here's the answer to that question. You can't read the whole canon in seven days. I was like, it's only six books. Like, yeah, I, but I that's can... okay. Cause you should take your time and enjoy it. I think I honestly enjoying it. I had, because I came to this sort of through, um, you know, comedy and then sort of like Ren fairs. And I was in Ren fair sort of came to it through this like winding path. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and because I was educated in a public school in Texas, it just, Jane Austen just wasn't at the top of our list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been really fun to get back into it and kind of catch up on on the, so certainly, I've certainly seen and watched um, many of the adaptations. Right. And uh, Dan, St- <laughs> that's one I watched again this week. I'm like, Dan Stevens, you are perfect. <laughs> just Perfect. Um, uh, so it's been really fun, uh, to get back into it. And then I really had not dealt with like Bronte at all. Oh, and interesting. super fun too. Oh my gosh. Bronte's great. I mean, obviously I'm team Bronte. Of course yep. I love Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, now we're dipping into Gaskell and we yeah. have a couple of other authors we're going to tackle next season, which I'm really excited about. Um, 
But uh, yeah. Oh, God. Where do you start? They're all so great. <laughs> They're all so great. I started. Um, where, did, where did I start? I'm so I, I watched I rewatched Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. and I re- rewatched Sense and Sensibility. And I'm about halfway through Persuasion at the moment. Nice. Trickle- I feel pretty proud of that. Like that was that was a nice. good, that was a good amount of re-education. They're the hits. They're the hits. Yeah. Um, I'm learning to love persuasion this season. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's great. It's fantastic. But <laughs> I have a few issues that will come up, but but yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's been it's been it's been really nice, and I was like, oh, I miss doing this. Like it's. The, just the sitting down and reading something um, like this has been really lovely to to get back into. And then, of course, I was like, I'm going to read one of these a year next year and get through both canon. And I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Well, if you do have time, I will suggest this. Yes. Um, if you want to do audiobooks, I don't know if you know the actress Juliette Stevenson. Uh, British actress. She mm-hmm. did the she did like the audiobooks, I think, of all of the Jane Austen adaptations. Oh lovely. Um, and she's just an amazing actress and awesome. a great reader. And I feel like listening to her read a Jane Austen is it's oh. just it's on point. Like every delivery, like every line delivery is just on point and it's so enjoyable and it's perfect for, you know, driving awesome. time in LA, which I'm sure yes. you have some of There's quite a bit of that. Yeah. Yes. So, you know. Excellent. I like it. So I highly recommend if that's, if you know, if you want to go that route, I think that's, that's the way nice. to go. I like that. I like that plan. Now, um, are you done shooting everything with the. Uh... We we're done shooting everything that we've, that we currently plan to start. And that was part of it was because I didn't expect the response. Mm-hmm. We planned to do those eight. And then so that was the end. Right. So now sort of starting to figure out like what makes sense for, for next steps. Cause it was really fun and, and people really enjoyed it. I mean, it was uh, wonderful to do. I would, yeah. I, you know, I would do it all day long. Um, so, but yeah, everything's in the can, everything's out mm-hmm. um, that we have done. And then we will see what comes next. There are a few sort of different ways to go about it and trying to figure out th- what makes the most sense. Yeah, I feel like we need a season two for sure. Oh, I would, I would, yeah, I would, I would, I would love to, I would, I look forward to diving back into, into that and seeing, seeing what we can pull together. Yeah, it is, it is, um, I know we chatted about it over email, but it is so interesting too. Um, yeah, just watching other people react to it at all to, levels, right? Because yes. on one hand, it's like, okay, you're doing this interesting niche geeky thing so the people reacted on that level and they're also like but wait you're but wait you, you it's, you're, it's you're black yeah you're black wait a minute don't you know about where black or there were no black people then i've heard that before <laughs> what there no we didn't exist we were invented much we're, later we're pretty 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 new thing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um i've heard that um it's I you know shockingly went to a like ninety five percent like all white school. <laughs> yeah. So yep. um, yeah. So I you know it was really interesting. Yeah, I was definitely one of those kids in class. Like whenever like sort of Black history came up, it's like oh. everyone like turns to you because they expect you yes. to sort of speak for Black history. Yes. <laughs> and yes. as if you were you would only be interested in Black history. Yes. And you are not interested in other parts of history. Oh gosh, yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes at these events, people have a very similar expectation. Like, oh, I wouldn't think that a Black person would be interested in this. And you're like, no, you know, I'm just, I'm a person. I'm a person. Just. But on the other hand, I will say when it does work well, and that was one thing that I definitely felt in like the Renaissance Festival world is like when when it is like when when you when you aren't dealing with that it is so amazing yeah because <laughs> you are dealing with such other like fans and people who are so excited to be doing this very specific thing yeah and absolutely wonderful yeah you have like an instant bonding with people yes um 
And I think too, I mean, I feel like this is going to get better. We do need more black people in costume drama. This is like, yes, like my dream writing project. Yes. Yes. And I, I think we're moving there. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we are. I mean, I, I see a lot of theater in London and I see a lot of great colorblind casting. Yes. Which is a step in the right direction. But we also do need to tell like black stories yeah. as yeah. well. And I'm guessing that is one of your goals, like, and this is like part of the calling card that you've. Yes, I would absolutely love to to see that. I'm not an amazing historian. I don't, I'm not good at doing my own research. I'm just like, I'm primarily, I mean, I'm primarily a fiction writer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I would love to find a few sort of true stories to hang my hat on that aren't sort of about um, sort of slavery or freedom right. from slavery because I know those stories exist. Right. I uh, haven't done the work of finding them yet, but, but yeah, we were around. Yeah. My family for like at least half of my family. Um, I mean, my, my, my dad's side of the family has done quite a bit of genealogy and everyone seems like they were free. And when I sort of like, well, where'd they come from? They're like Virginia. I'm like, yeah, but why we haven't, I don't know those answers yet, but mm-hmm. At least on one side of my family, no one, as far as I know, was a slave. And mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by that story. I'm like, okay, see? Like, so yes, they, we were uh, around and yeah. doing things and wearing amazing clothes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, we just need more exposure for Black stories. There is not one type of Black, I think, no, there's that a- we need this there's message a- to get out there. <laughs> There's diversity within the diversity. I it's, promise. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So um, is there any upcoming British drama that you're looking forward to? Are you, I'm guessing you're, are you watching Victoria? I wanted to get through the book first and I did. Mm-hmm. So I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I'm excited about The Crown. Oh, uh, yes. Can't wait for season two. Oh, my gosh. Um. Yeah, I think those are the. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think. What What am I trying to watch? It gets a little. It gets a little muddled because I do a lot of watching of things for work, and mm-hmm. then I'm like, wait, let me come back to watching the things I want to watch, and not the stuff that I'm watching because I'm meeting with someone involved in those projects. Um, yeah. Now, gonna, what yes. do you do for your day job? Just out of curiosity, or uh, my day job, I do production management for mm-hmm. studio, uh, which is great. It's fun. It's good. Solid. Um, nice, yeah. Very time consuming, which yeah. is one of the things about last year was we were very slow. And so I had time to do uh, Black Girl in a Big Dress. Oh, good. Uh, okay. Much busier right this moment. So it's like, I'm, so I'm, as I'm like, I want to do season two, I'm like, mm-hmm. but when? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you have slowdown times during the winter? Like, it's- although you, you've got to write, I'm sure, season two still. So, yes. Uh, we have some episodes that didn't make it into the cut for season one just for sort of time and budget. Mm-hmm. So I do have a handful of like ancillary episodes that I was like, oh, that kind of stand alone. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do, um, maybe I'll just shoot like a couple and sort of do something in the interim. Right. Uh, yeah. How but long yeah, did it take you to shoot do you, round roundabout? Not long enough. We shot over five days, not okay. consecutive days, but we shot all of that in five days okay nice that was not enough days <laughs> it would have been nicer if we had shot in seven days right um but yeah now did you pull together um like because you're in production management you were able to pull together i'm guessing like sound people and uh well i you knew or... okay i worked in animation production management my director brought in most of the crew mm-hmm. uh, from from her film school and then most of the cast were, were either people I worked with before or recommendations from other people in the cast. Nice. So, yeah. Like, um, the, like, Lord Fitzhugh, Ryan, mm-hmm. he, he and I met, he and I met the first time when we were shooting something for the first time, uh, which was great because he is, he's very handsome, mm-hmm. but he's, like, extra handsome in real life. <laughs> like troublingly good looking and when he first showed up on set I was like I can't I don't I don't know how I can't he's too much like he's right 
so like I was genuinely honestly very flustered which worked out well for the characters um but it was I was it was nerve-wracking for me um now were you nervous at all about acting because I mean your background is in writing and journalism I was on I've done a lot I've done lots of performing okay okay gotcha yeah I've done you know I did theater stuff in high school and college and Mm -hmm. then um, from my Oreo experience stuff, I have a handful of sketches and videos I did, and I okay. trained at Second City for a while, and I also do stand-up and storytelling around town. Okay. That's right. Okay, so it was no no big deal for you? No. Nice. No, it was fun. It was fun. It's I don't think of myself as an actor because mm-hmm. I don't do anything, like I don't take current headshots or go to right. audition um, or sort of do the that part of being an actor in Los Angeles, but I enjoy performing when I have the opportunity to do so. Nice. Yeah. Um, where'd you get that dress, by the way? That I can send you guys the link that came from um, a woman I met on Etsy. Cause I was mm-hmm. looking for that. The, I was looking for that shape of the bodice. A lot of the dresses were either, they just weren't that shape. Mm-hmm. And I was finding um, sort of later Victorian stuff. Um, like a, more like Edwardian style, like necklines, mm-hmm. um, and then some that just felt a little more American. And she was the one I found who had that um, bust line, and I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> uh, and she was wonderful, and I was she was wonderful. She let me um, be all very nervous about it. It was great, but I can send you guys the link to her. Yeah, page. we're huh? in need of some dresses for the Jane Austen oh, Festival yes. for next yes. year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I would highly recommend, I would absolutely recommend, she was great. She was super nice and super fast. And because I didn't, because I think I ordered it after we had already started shooting. So oh, wow. Like, uh, it was a, I was like, I am just on a deadline and it's my fault totally. Mm-hmm. But can you help us? And she did. And it was awesome. You have a corset in there? There's a corset in there. Ooh, how'd that feel? <laughs> I wear Spanx every single day of my life. Okay. I love that feeling. It's like a nice hug. It just feels so secure. You're like, I'm okay. Well, I'm not going anywhere. You know, we did, we had an actress on the show who played Anne Bronte. Um, mm. And she was talking about the corsets and just like how, yeah, putting on the corset too is like, is like getting into character. And that did, yes. that does help. Yes. Um, I was listening to, I think it was, um, why am I blanking on her name as well? But one of the actresses from Downton Abbey just talking about the difference in, in their costume progression from when they were in more restrictive clothing at the beginning of the series and then less so as the series progressed mm-hmm. and how it does, how much it does cha- just change what you can physically do and in terms of a character. Mm-hmm. And then because you are restricted, um, how it does affect your interactions with people. Right. Like one of the things, I think the only time that I was not uncomfortable in that dress, but very aware was in the scene where Lord Fitzhugh and I are sitting in front of the fire. It's a real fire. And mm-hmm. I can't move that quickly. And yeah. if something were to happen and that dress were to catch on fire, I would be in really bad shape. And so you, like I was so aware of like, just needing to feel like very much in control and let's just make sure that everyone is where they're supposed to be because it matters right now. And it felt so, and that's like how you would live your life back then when everything, um, where there wasn't electricity. And so you had lots of fire around Mm -hmm. time. Like, my gosh, everyone would have been just on slightly on edge. Yeah. Way. Well, Actually, I will say the Reverend Patrick Bronte. This was like a huge fear of his because um, yeah. this was a big problem. Early yeah. Victorian age, uh, especially with the, the materials that everyone was wearing. Yes. A lot of yeah. people were, were, you know, going up in flames. So he, uh, yes. I believe he would like cut the fires really low, really like early mm. at night. And it was always very cold in the parsonage. Oh. But yeah, no, it was, it was a problem. <laughs> It was a real problem. It was a real problem. People were lighting on fire. It's It's a whole thing. Yeah, like just off camera, there's like buckets and buckets of water um, just in case something crazy happened. Health and safety over there. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And and things like eating, like, you know, we'd break for lunch and I just didn't feel like taking all of that off and putting all of it back on. Yeah. So she's like, well, I just just won't eat 
because I can't, which is fascinating feeling yeah. to just like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'll just have these two bites of this and that'll be enough. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I'll just wait patiently for everyone else to get done. And it does it totally just, it's, it's interesting how just the costuming of the time would have changed how, just how people were. And it mm-hmm. was really fun to be in that space for a while. Now accents. Yes. Did you try to base this on anyone in particular? No, it's it's really based more on a habit I have of occasionally speaking in English accents, which I didn't <laughs> know which I didn't know that I did until I was hanging out here with a friend from London and I was talking he caught me talking to myself and I was like, oh, blah blah blah, well I'll just go over here and then we'll just do that and blah 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 and he was like, Are are you doing an English accent? I'm like <laughs> Yes. And he's like, are, like, are you making fun? Like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, just it just, it just happens. <laughs> now, have you had any people sort of like in the industry contacting you about the show or creating any buzz or? Not yet. I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, all, all very boring stuff. I, it's, you know, there was definitely the, you know, being told by people like, oh my gosh, you know, people are always looking for web series and, you know, it just happens. And, you know, look at, you know, Awkward Black Girl and Broad City. And I'm like, yes, those are yeah. two examples of the millions of web series right. that are out there. Right. Um, so, yeah, so now I'm doing, I am doing the very sort of practical and not very sexy of reaching out to people who, um, like producers and, and the like, mm-hmm. who either create similar content or, or who I, think might know someone who creates similar content to see what the mm. possibilities might be. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, which is, which is fun. It's, and it's nice to be able to say that, you know, we've grown just, I, 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 I cannot, it was so overwhelming. Like I was just not expecting it mm-hmm. at all. I was not expecting the response at all. Like on, you know, we had 400 likes on Facebook before we launched and we're at about almost 34,000 right now. Mm-hmm. which yeah. I just not expect just I was not expecting at all. So it's nice to have like data and to say like look and the people people are really engaged with it which is also yeah. awesome. You know, I posted plenty of sketches in my day where people are like, "Oh, that's funny." Great. It, good job. It's um well it's like it's specific too. Yeah. I mean, I, again, these women of color anglophiles like we're out there and we're just so glad that like <laughs> so happy. we're able to connect with each other yes and yes. um it's fresh content too like it's it's like yeah. oh this is fresh this is interesting this is it's topical as well oh thank you yeah. I'm, i'm could not i could not be happier with it i'm very happy very proud of it the team was amazing and it's been really nice yeah, so, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Just really want you to do get on season two. No. Come on. It's going to quit my job. Like, <laughs> no, this is it from now on. This is just an endless stream of Black Girl in a Big Dress episodes. Yes. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's sorted. <laughs> okay. And we are back. So in that interview, um, I briefly mentioned... Um, an article that a lot of you guys sent to me uh, back in in August, I think it was. And it was entitled, Reading Jane Eyre While Black, The Privilege of Escapism is Not Allowed for Me. And um, I've been meaning to talk about this article on the show for a really long time. It's really hard to talk about because I, I feel like I'm still unpacking my feelings on this subject. But um, yeah, let's let's give it a shot now. Um, let's start this conversation because I think in season two, I would like to have more conversations about um, classic literature and race and being an African-American Anglophile and like, how do I sort of reconcile my feelings about period drama and classic lit? So um, Hannah, do you want to just sort of maybe briefly describe like what the what the article is about? Uh, yes. Yeah, so in a nutshell, uh, the article describes Coleman's struggle to read Jane Eyre as a woman of colour, because of the repeated racial references and the imagery used, and then especially the contrasted images of Bertha Mason and Jane Eyre. Uh, As we discussed in um, our Jane Eyre conversation, like we we talked about race there. um, And 
and in the Heathcliff episode as well. Um, the fact yeah. that Bertha is of dual heritage and insane, while Jane Eyre is shown as being small and pure and godly, and most importantly, white. Right. And then um, Coleman goes on to say that kind of this frustrated experience of not being able to escape into the novel doesn't happen when she reads Austen because Austen never, or, you know, very rarely refers to race in her writing. I think like the closest you often come is just stuff like um, Elizabeth Bennet had dark eyes. Now, like that, right. that doesn't mean anything other than the fact that Elizabeth Bennet had dark brown eyes, I guess. Right. So, and, and so, yeah, the act of, the act of reading Austen in comparison to reading um, the Brontes is very different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a true point. I totally agree with her there. Um, I think that's why one of the reasons why Austen's writing is so popular or so universal, because I mean, almost what I was saying with, with Darcy is that there are some like empty vessel qualities to her writing where you can insert yourself no matter like who you are into her novels, um, which I think is a great, it's a great quality. That's a great thing about Austen. Um, however, I do like talking about race. And I think that the Brontes, especially with Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, um, really opened some great doors to like talking about race and talking about history. So, Which um, is funny because I think Austen and the Brontes both had exactly the same intentions here. And I I don't mm-hmm. think either of them were writing with race in mind at all. Like Charlotte Bronte, when I'm I'm convinced that like she was I don't think she ever wrote any of this and thought this is gonna this is gonna be upsetting for the audience. Cause I, I think she took for granted that her books would ever be read by anyone who wasn't white. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine her ever thinking that this conversation would happen. I'm not like, that's not like a defense of it. I just like. Yeah. I, I mean, she didn't have, I, yeah, I don't think any of them would. Absolutely. Which is weird. Cause you can't like, you couldn't like writing like that would never happen now. At least I don't think it would. And because even pe- because people who were writing stuff with like problematic race, if they were doing it intentionally, if they were like, I'm going to do this because it shows women of colour to be, like, violent and insane and have, like, these erratic tendencies. They're doing it intentionally because right. they know it's be a problem. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I, I think, though, it's a great, like, if you're a teacher and you're talking about Wuthering Heights or you're talking about Jane Eyre, though, like, you need to be talking about race and you need to be talking about these things. Yeah in your classroom. And I think these, this is, I mean, I think this is one of the, the things that I enjoy about these books is that it really like opens that door. So I will say if you are like an English, like lecturer or teacher, and you're not talking about race and like the way that women of color are portrayed in Jane Eyre, when you're talking about this book with your students, then I think you're, you know, you're letting everyone down, honestly. Yeah. I think this is a conversation that young writers need to be, you know, having, young editors, young readers, like, need yeah. to be having. So, um, you know, I really um, appreciate this article, and a lot of people sent it to me, and I think they sent it to me in, like, best intentions. Like, and I think it was also, like, sent to me after our conversation about Heathcliff and Darcy and race. Um, and a lot of people were like, you know, they wanted to know if this was similar to my experience Yeah, reading Jane Eyre, which I think is a, just a totally fair question. But sort of my response to that is that like, black isn't universal. So this is one woman of color's experience reading Jane Eyre, but mine is, is, is similar, but different. Yeah. Because, um, I totally picked up on all the things that she's saying. Like, Absolutely. It doesn't ruin the book for me, however, Um, partially because I'm not expecting Charlotte Bronte to have an enlightened view on race. Yeah. Um, And that's just something as like someone who reads a lot of classic literature, like it's I've encountered loads of problematic language before. So it's like not my first rodeo, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think I can still appreciate the book for what it is. And I just, and still like have a conversation about it and not just dismiss it altogether. And I like that there's like, that there's a conversation to be had. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't like pretending that everything's fine. You, you know, that everything's like sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I, and also when I say black is not like universal, like, this is greatly illustrated by a, an episode of Black Girl in a Big Dress, my favorite episode, called The Interview. Yeah. Which I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah. Yeah. Where like, so um, Adrian, the character in the show, which, by the way, during the interview, I kept wanting to call Adria Adrian. So close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> but um Adrian is being interviewed by a podcast about, um, you know, being a black person in a, in a white field and um, in a, you know, predominantly white field. And she really wants this story of like struggle and heartache and rising up from the ghetto and, yeah. you know, and Adrian is like giving her experience and she's like, oh, yeah, that's not like a black experience. You know, I want like a typical black story and adrian's just like what is that like i'm a black person what are you what are you trying to say to me yeah so um so yeah so i'm just you know i just want to say that goes that goes back into what we were talking about earlier as well with the like people want you to fulfill your stereotype whether or not it's a guy expecting a woman to behave in a certain way or yeah stereotypes and expecting people to fit those roles it's Mm -hmm. it's harm like it's so harmful it's harmful to the person you're doing it to and it's harmful yeah. to your work. Uh, like, yeah. however, however it is you're letting that impact your life, stereotypes are harmful. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, I think like, that's what I'm going to say about this article for now is that like, I appreciate it. I appreciate the points. I totally see where she's coming from. This stuff doesn't like sort of ruin classic literature for me. Instead, I want to like talk about it and have a dialogue with people about it on the show. And it's something I want to talk to more women of color on this show about as well. Um, We do have a short interview coming up in season two with um, Rana, who is a volunteer at Gaskell House. And we kind of actually also briefly talked about this article and I asked her, you know, as a woman of color who loves period drama, like, how do you... (laughs) How do you reconcile the fact that like the stories are often problematic or we are often watching stories that, you know, where people of color are excluded? And she's like, my God, I know it's hard. And there's always like a little bit of guilt. And I'm like, I know (laughs) I feel that way, too. There's always this little bit of guilt. Um, But I think honestly, like the answer to this, I don't know. It's like it's like twofold. Like I want to see more people of color like producing stories and period dramas um and talking about their experience just the way that adria is doing you know with black girl in a big dress um you know hannah and i briefly talked about uh, a play that i saw a few years ago ago called the empress which is the story of victoria and abdul and then also it's juxtaposed against Um, the way that Indian nannies were brought over from India to England during Victorian England and the way that they were just basically disposed of and the struggle of these women, um, you know, in a country that wasn't their own. And great play written by a woman of color. It was, um, I heard it was like the movie rights were purchased and then I didn't, you know, hear anything about it for years. And then earlier this year, a movie called Victoria and Abdul came out, which was written by a white man. And it was a much different story. (laughs) Same story treated very, very differently. Yeah, because that um, one was written to appease white guilt instead of being a story that feels authentic to the people working on it. Exactly. So, yeah, so I, I mean, I feel like that's but, part that's of the my answer. Issue. That's my issue, by the way, because I always like to bring this up with the film uh, The Help as opposed to the film Hidden Figures. Just mm-hmm. two very similar films, 
except one was written to make white people feel better and the other one was written to talk about women who existed. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> like, I'm... Right. So, I mean, I think that's part of, yeah, yeah, we just, we need more people telling their stories and sharing their experience and, you know, yeah, I think that's part of the answer. I think we, we've talked a lot about colorblind casting off mic. I would love to see more colorblind casting. My only fear and worry is that we will just start to sidestep stories of people of color. You know, I, I, I don't know how many remakes of Pride and Prejudice we need. But yeah, I would like to uncover some more stories and tell new stories. I don't, I don't but, realistically that wouldn't happen though, because stuff like Pride and Prejudice and A Christmas Carol and Great Expectations are like what like pop popular the money makers like the money makers and so i do think that you need to like as of now as of like yesterday they need to have just gotten over that and when it comes to stories that have been done to death and people are doing because they're familiar like colorblind class them like just do it like there should be no hesitation or doubt but then yeah the responsibility is then that newly commissioned stuff, newly written stuff, stuff that hasn't been seen before, we shouldn't just be writing stuff or picking stuff that has a person of colour shoehorned into it. We should be looking right. to tell stories that are uh, not like not necessarily like true stories. Like not everything has to be a historical drama, but true to the time, true to the situation, and just right. broaden who it is representative of, whether or not that's women or you know differently able people or people of color or you know straight or not yeah do you know yeah like, just exactly. everyone yeah, let's, let's stop telling the story of the middle of the road middle class white able-bodied heterosexual people like yeah let's absolutely. stop bored bored of that yeah no i think that's absolutely the way to go but um yeah, I'm glad this is a it's a difficult discussion, but I'm glad that we got it started on the show. And I want to hear all of your guys' thoughts on this. And like, how do we fix this? Like, how do we move forward? <laughs> all right. So um, guys, if you have thoughts on these articles or responses to them, please uh, join our Facebook group, Bonnets at Dawn. And um, there's already a thread started there. So go ahead and add your comments and we will return to the topic uh, later on. So yeah, that about does it for this week. Uh, Thank you guys for um, hanging in there and waiting for this episode so patiently. I know we were off last week. Last week was the first week in six months that we've actually missed a show. So I know. Sorry, guys. We were just, you know, traveling and it was it was nuts. It was nuts. We just didn't have time to actually edit something and get it up there in a reasonable amount of time. So thank you guys for being patient with us. Yeah, thank you. So now, Hannah, if everyone wants to find us online, where should they go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter on uh, at rather bonnets at dawn. Uh, and yeah, Lauren said the Facebook already. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's where you can find us, and we'll be there. Okay, guys, thank you so much, and we will be back next week with a new episode. Bye.